and welcome to episode 15 of the 1099 for the week of October 19th. So <laughs> today I'm joined by Tom McShay and we've actually been talking for like the past 20 minutes about like 900 different things and I totally forgot to do an intro. So we're doing that right now. Uh, yep. <laughs> Tom McShay is a former GameSpot editor, current freelancer, also a podcaster for the Crockpot and Wild Guesses. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing great. <laughs> well, it feels like we've we've already talked about that. I know we talked about Destiny and Halo and everything in between. Uh, and you had just asked me uh, a review. Yeah, question. I asked you a question. I turned the tables on yeah, you. No, ask it again. Let me let me hear the question again so the people. Okay, care. so I mean, I, I I was I was a reviewer Gamespot for a long time, mm. but I I had not been doing freelance reviews at all because they seemed uh, terrible for me. <laughs> yeah, and I'll get into what, why in a second. But so Dan Stapleton from IGN was really nice to ask if I would review Dragon Quest Heroes, and I was like, yeah, that sounds great, and I reviewed it. But it was I played about thirty hours in less than a week, and it does not pay that great. Uh, and I don't really know if I should talk about pricing, but it does not pay that great. It's like way below minimum wage. Yeah, when you're doing that. And I was asking Josiah, like, how the hell do you review games? Because I don't really want to review another game now because it's not. It's not worth my time to do it. It's thirty. It's like when it's a thirty-hour game. Like, how do you even do this? If I was going to instruct anyone, like, who wants to do freelancing? Let's say if someone comes to me and says, "I want to do freelancing full time," like, what sort of content should I do? Don't do reviews, uh, no. which is kind of shitty, but it's kind of how it is. So you're absolutely right. The, the value you get from a review, it's not there. If you want to do a, uh, I think the best way to do it is to get into features. Honestly, if you want to make like make money and make that the time you put in worth it. But you're right with the review. Um, you can spend like for my NBA 2K16 review. You know, I'm putting 30 hours into that in a week's time, and I have a full time job, so that is a you know, it's 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 a lot. You end up you know staying up late a lot, waking up early. Uh, you're not going out on weekends with friends because you're doing that kind of stuff, and then you get a rate that is not like. This is not me like, bashing IGN or GameSpot. I'm the same no, with you, but you're getting... They pay better than anyone. Uh, and That's the scary in, part. <laughs> in, in media, I should say. I have worked at outlets that paid me $20 for a review. Yeah, and like this is... It's it's strange, isn't it? It's it's not sustainable. Like, it's not... I, but it is because so, there are so many, like, 20-year-old kids mm. who are just getting into games and who want, you know, that... Like, you know, when I was 20, I wrote for literal free. I oh, yeah, no, me I, too. And I wrote for free. And it's like, yeah, there's there's an infinite supply of people who are like, man, I would I would love to do this, even though I don't pay, get, make money. So I, that's why it's sustainable, I think. Yeah, I don't know how people, I don't know how people do it full-time. If I, if I was a full-time freelancer, I don't think I would ever write reviews unless someone's like, here's this three-hour indie game. Can you write a review on this? Um, and then oh it makes God. sense. And it pays the same. And that's the, that's the craziest part. There's no scale. There's no, by the way, you review, let's say for some crazy reason, someone at a big outlet's like, can you review Fallout 4? Cool <laughs> opportunity, but no fucking way. Like, I am not oh going God. to review Fallout 4 for you because there's 100 hours for, you know, like $200. And like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. If If I was full time, I would have to do features only. And the only reason I do reviews... Well, I, I like to write, I really enjoy writing reviews and I, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a good way to, you know, you stay up to date on games. It gives me a reason to, you know, play new games and join that conversation. And once again, I have a full-time job and that's what sustains me. For me, the, the review writing is just a bonus. It's just like, it's something I don't even really count on. It's just extra money is great. But in terms of actually 
something sustainable and something that makes sense reviews don't make a lot of sense to write as a freelancer yeah yeah it's funny so when i was at GameSpot, uh like we we freelanced um bravely default <laughs> oh yeah which i love so i played the game when it came out for fun and i played it for about two months and i played 80 hours of it and i beat it mm. and the second half of that game as you may or may not have heard is very different and it's very divisive and we didn't cover that in the review and like i'm pretty sure our critic played you know 30 hours mm. And I was like mad at Kevin Van Orr, who was in charge of like doing reviews at the time. And I was like, how could you let this happen? How can we follow the review? And now like that I'm on the other side, yeah, I would have done the same thing because it would have been insane to play that game for 80 hours for 200 bucks. It's Yeah, there's definitely been times like similar cases where I get a game and know it's this humongous time investment. And like you need to play the latter portions. I mean, every time I review a game, I beat it. I, you know, that's important, I think, to do. But even after beating a game, sometimes there's this additional content or all this other stuff that's like, I can't do this. Freelancing is for reviews is just really difficult. Um, I couldn't imagine being an editor for that and like handing those out. I don't think I would ever hand out an RPG. Like here, you guys get all of our small indie games and we'll have the full-time staff do this. No, but from the other perspective, like I didn't review tons of RPGs, but when I, you know, I, I did at GameSpot and that's all I could do. And like when I wasn't reviewing an RPG at GameSpot, I would do t- t- 20 things. Yeah, like that's like I, I would write you know an article every day or two. I would do video. I would do podcast. I would do everything. But that's that's why you they want to freelance that stuff because like they don't want me to do nothing but that game when they could just pay someone two hundred bucks to do it. Do you? So let's say you would review Fallout Three um, at Gamespot. Did did you play that? Did you would you like stay home like from the office and just play that all day, or would you play it in the office, or is that on your off time? How does that work? So I had a real uh, problem with playing games nonstop when I first started working at GameSpot. I was there six years, and for the first few years, it was just like that was my life. Yeah. Uh, and then I think it was like I, it was like my relationship ended uh, with with the woman I was with, and then I like kind of refocused everything. Mm. And then I made sure that I never played games outside of the forty hour work week. Oh, for work. That's probably okay. That's probably smart. Is it? Is and that they, feasible? And I did, and I changed that sometimes. I remember, like Skyward Sword, I I did long hours and and, and Uncharted Three, and like some big releases where I had like a limited time frame. I would make sure to do that, but otherwise, like that that was it. Like I I I wasn't gonna do more than that because that like that's what I was getting paid for. Yeah, I was getting paid for forty hours, and I was and I was very adamant about that, and I didn't actually like I still like you know if you looked at my content, I had the same content as everyone else, but like I just. I didn't do that, and I, and I didn't do a ton of long games. And when I would do a long game, I would do it at work, which is which was which is very different. I know because most sites, including Gamespot, just want you to play at work, which I think is kind of sleazy. A yeah, little a little bit. It's and I don't. I'm not bad mouthing Gamespot at all with this, but this is just it's the idea. The games are fun, and that's why we get into the industry. Yeah. And I think there's this idea that like, what do you mean you're complaining about playing Uncharted Four? It's fun. And it's like, no, but this is this is literally my job. This is work. Like, that's like the disconnect, I think. No, and you're absolutely right. And that's it was always something I would think about if I ever did get a full time job is the idea of how to turn that off when you go home. Because, you know, gaming for a lot of, for most people who write about games, it's a passion of theirs. So it's something yeah. that you, you can easily go home and like, oh, well, I'm reviewing this. I might as well just keep playing it for review. But you're right. Like, that's your that is your job. Even if it is playing a video game, which a lot of people will say, like, that's not really work. It's like, yeah, but it, it is. is. It is. And 
I, I, I would be concerned that I would, if I was reviewing a Skyward Sword, I would leave Friday from work at you know five or six o'clock, get home, and end up playing most of the weekend because, yeah. especially with long games like that, like where do you even find time to finish it? Some of those. Those are hard assignments. Those those are great. I'm so happy I don't review long RPGs. I'm so happy I... Well, I actually found stuff like... Like, I remember I played like 80 hours of Souls of Zillul. All right. Trinity, Souls of Zillul. Okay. Which I actually really liked, but um, that was easy. Hmm. It was 80 hours and it was like, whatever. It was just... It, it took a long time. The hard games are sometimes stuff like Braid. Oh, um, yeah. Because you got a deadline and uh, that puzzle's impossible. <laughs> yeah, that's... That's that's one of the toughest things, and I, you know, because I did review Braid. I reviewed tons of puzzle platformers as my favorite genre, and it was always like deadline sticking, and I'm not smart enough to figure out what to do. <laughs> I so give me an 80 hour game any, any day of the week. I've had that. that issue, and like I will put out calls on Twitter now to be like, "Hey, I'm an idiot. Is anyone else reviewing this? Because I have no. I've I've emailed a developer at one point. This is like an indie game. I don't remember what it was, but I remember. I was just banging my head against it for like three hours on this one thing. I'm like, I am too dumb for this. And, you know, when you're writing a review, there's no guides out there. No one's played this before. No. Like, you're trying and you're like, I, I'm never going to be able to do this. And I need to find a way. I remember even one time um, the developer got back to me and like started giving me very cryptic hints. And I'm like, I understand what you're trying to do. But, oh, my God, <laughs> like, please tell me how to do this. I am so stuck. Yeah, I remember like at GameSpot, we used to decide like what games we were going to review. We'd kind of talk about it beforehand, and I was I kept saying over and over, "I'm never going to review The Witness." Oh, um, and yeah. it's funny because like I would be the guy because I I love Braid, I love John Blow, blah blah blah. But I was like, no, I've interviewed John Blow like ten times, I can't do it. But really, it was like <laughs> I didn't like that. Just seems so stressful. To yeah, me. And that game is like, didn't someone say it could be up to like eighty hours or something like that? John Blow said it could be like eighty hours. You you could not pay me enough to review that game. Like I don't think I would do it. Like, but I can't wait to play it for fun. But like, totally. Yeah, because I know uh, Mark Walton, who's no longer GameSpot, reviewed Anti Chamber. Uh, oh, because I played it afterwards, and it's basically the portal, except twenty times harder. I I like I don't understand how reviewers do that kind of stuff, and it's one of those things you don't really think about. Because when you think of dis- difficult games, it's like, oh, Bayonetta is tough. It's like, I think most people can get through Bayonetta with brute force eventually. Yeah. But there are some, but those puzzle games, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. Or if you had to review Broken Age and that one puzzle with the knot, like, I just don't even know what you do. And if you're a freelancer, like, you are wasting your life, basically, with these, these puzzles. Yeah, there have been times where it's, it's super difficult. There'll be, like, late night and I'm sitting there just looking at a screen being like, I have to go to work tomorrow. Like, I don't have time to play this tomorrow. My deadline's here. I just don't know what to do. It's, I've been much, I'm not going to say super choosy, but choosy enough with what I review and being like, look, like this doesn't make sense for me to take this on. And I mean, I have a feeling you'll be doing the same moving forward, knowing that like, you know, if you're playing these long 40, 50 hour games and you're only getting paid, you know, a couple hundred dollars, like, is that worth your time? Yeah, I know. It's funny that, like, because you've had, like, Nick Capazzoli and stuff on talking about how to write reviews and stuff, and now this is like, don't don't write reviews. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Here's all this advice, but it's not worth your time. Come on. Yeah, reviews, reviews, are, <laughs> reviews, are, reviews are tough. And they're also, there's there's different kinds of reviews, and there's a kill screen review, and there's an IGN review. Yeah. And they're both, they both have their worth, and they're both, you know, they're both very valuable, but it's basically a buyer's guide versus, like, ruminations on life mm. in the guise of a review. Yeah, like that kind of stuff, and like it's kind of thankless to do a consumer guide 
type review. Yeah, is what I've realized because people, you know, they might they might agree, they might disagree, but it's it's basically just only talking about if you're an idiot or smart from having the same opinion. And it's it's a little it's a little sad, I guess. Yeah. So, but but when I do fe- features and previews and, and interviews, like those are thankful. Uh, this exact opposite reaction I get because you don't get reaction of this is dumb. You only get reaction of like I never thought of that before and that kind of stuff, which is a lot more engaging for me. Yeah, it's 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 something I want to get back to more because I've yeah. for some reason I've I've only been writing reviews and you know once again it's just been like well they keep offering to me and like I'm not full time freelancing. It's just a fun thing to do on the side, but features have always been for me the most interesting. Like you said, the most rewarding thing to do. You're looking at specific topics, uh, specific studios in a way maybe no one has before. What What is your favorite kind of feature to do? The like, A long opinion piece about a certain topic or maybe something that digs into a studio or a specific developer with interviews? What do you like to do more than anything else? Oh, God. I mean, in my last two years at GameSpot, I wrote tons and tons of, uh, of opinion pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's kind of, that was kind of like my role at the end, which was fantastic because I would go to work and I wouldn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> and then I would like see what the news story was of the day or, or if there wasn't anything like a game I'd been playing and I'd look at it at a different angle. And I found that like just so satisfying cause like I reviewed the last of us. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. But then I wrote like two or three editorials about the last of us. They kind of like, you can't talk about certain things in a review. But, you know, I'll just talk about things like we need to praise this for being brave and having like a new IP at the end of a console generation that kind of eschews a lot of what we expect in AAA. Like that's the kind of pieces that you can just kind of write that aren't worth talking about in a review. Yeah, and it's hard to add anything like that in a review because I've it sounds spoken. Weird. Yeah, I've mean, spoken on this before. Like there's you have limited space in a review even if you don't have a word count. There's only so much you can write in there and so much of a person's attention you can demand over the course yeah. of review. And to go into... You know the the aspects outside of that. It's a lot of well, editors usually won't let that in, but it also doesn't really make sense in the context of a review. Yeah, so I I loved I loved opinion pieces partly because of that because it just gave me so much more like a blank canvas to work with. Uh, but I think the thing that I really love is just I love talking to developers and figuring out stories from there. Mm. Uh, like I mentioned to you in our unrecorded conversation. <laughs> Like, because I played Rogue Legacy for a thousand hours. It came out, like, right after the layoff at GameSpot. And I played it, and I played it, and I played it, and I loved it. And then I uh, emailed the developer, and I said, hey, your game is uh, addicting, addictive. Um, can we talk about that? Because I, I think that's interesting. And and I talked about it. Because, like, that that's one of, like, my main hiccups or ga- with the games is I don't like I don't like using addiction as a positive. Like, yeah. oh, this game is so addictive. Like, you're going to be addicted to this game forever. I don't I don't like that and I think like I think it's important to look at games like Rogue Legacy and Destiny and you know Diablo and be like well why are they ad- like addictive and like is that is that a choice and all that other stuff so it was great talking to cuz you can't talk to Bungie about that no definitely not about that but like these it's just two dudes at Celebrate Games and he was he was super positive about talking about this and it's like he didn't really realize what it was until after it was done. It's like, oh, this game it gets your hooks in you, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it, you're more often than not an addictive game is a, a positive thing in terms of what people write. So you're saying, do you think there's any way that a game could be addictive that's actually a positive way, or do you think it's almost always negative? I 
So I come at this from a different angle than some people. Yeah. And I don't want to get too too dark here. <laughs> okay. Uh, I I have I have experience with with addiction in my life. Mm-hmm. Not me personally, but people that I know. Yeah. Or knew. Um. So when I hear people praise addiction, I'm like, addiction ruins lives. Yeah. And not just the person who is addicted, but everybody who cares about that person. So I I don't think that there's any case in which addiction is a good thing, uh, except that was my case. So then I, I, I tweeted that or I mentioned that, and then Martin Gaston, who I used to work with at GameSpot, I don't know where he is now. I don't know either. He's actually at Blizzard, but I'm not sure. So he talked about how he was depressed during a stretch, and then he discovered World of Warcraft, and it kind of helped him. Uh, it gave him a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. And then he became strong, and he became confident. He moved on from that. But like he needed that. And like I said, when I was laid off, I, I needed Rogue Legacy, and I needed a place to escape that wasn't, that wasn't like awful reality. Yeah. So I think that is like the advantage of addiction. But I think those are very special cases. Yeah, it, it is weird how often we do. Because I mean, I've done it too, where I've written uh, this game is very addictive, and it was in a positive sense. But mm-hmm. thinking about it that way is interesting. And we did have a long conversation beforehand about the way Destiny gets its hooks in you and makes you pay an inordinate sum of money, and it's because it's the, these addictive uh, qualities of it, which is something that Danny O'Dwyer looked into. You had mentioned before that you did a lot of opinion pieces around the end of GameSpot. Have you found that those are easy to sell to outlets as a freelancer? No. Same I, here. I don't know. I actually wrote a couple of them, and I and I, and I only I don't I don't I'm not good at like advertising myself. So like I know some IGN people, and I know like Cat Bailey mm. and Jeremy Parrish from US Gamer, and like a, a few other places. So like I would I would just kind of go to them. Like I didn't, I didn't necessarily try to go to everybody with with that, but I just, like I remember specifically when I went to IGN, I said like, we want our opinion pieces to be people written by us. Yes. So like, if I was like, you know, this is dumb, like they they want it to be like an official stance, basically, of this is dumb, as opposed to some outsider saying this is dumb or this is great. That's what I've run into too. Um, and and I, I fully understand that, which is why I gave up. Yeah, but it, it's, it's a bummer that you almost have to have a full-time position in order to write opinion pieces, which like you, I mean, I love writing opinion pieces. I love uh, kind of exploring things in that way. I, mean, I, uh, I mean, some sites will let you. It depends, I guess, what you are qualifying as an opinion piece. So when I was, my first feature on GameSpot was about Final Fantasy VIII. And it was a long yeah, that was deep like dive. historical retrospective. Yeah, and there was definitely some personal stuff to it. Oh, yeah. Um, but I guess it would have ma- worked if it wasn't personal. Yes. Um, and I went back and forth on how personal I wanted that. And I do, I do remember like looking back and I tried to, once again, this is not me bashing GameSpot in any way. I tried to sell something uh, similar about uh, Suikoden 2 and it didn't uh, end up getting published. And I, I don't know if it's anything to do with that, but... I have found that when I have, I, I did pitch a couple opinion pieces to GameSpot and they, I did get the kind of answer of like, you know, it's, and I agree, it, it makes sense, but yeah, we want our full-time staff to do that. But it is a bummer because I, I wish, I could do it on a blog, of course, um, but that only has such so a, different. yeah, that only has such a long outreach for me. Like, I, not a lot of people are going to read that and it, it, is, it is more fun when more people read it, but it, it has made me, if I do features, they go more towards different like editorials or features that involved interviews and uh different developer opinions and stuff like that and getting that uh in the door i know you enjoy interviewing people a lot uh i I, I absolutely love love interviewing people and i do remember there's one that i'll never forget which was the the medal of honor one 
Um, yeah, it's either the high point or low point of my career. I haven't so, decided yet. I actually just watched that again, <laughs> like a little nope. bit ago. I've never watched it before. I, I I don't blame you. I have trouble watching myself interview anyone. But it, I mean, no, it's well, super... that one was that one was. Uh, do people even know this anymore? It's a good question. So yeah, you so you had talked to was it the creative director? Was it? So I, w- I was I was at E3. <laughs> it's funny because with reviews, it was like, oh, we're gonna make the military shooter guy review the military shooter. Mm. But E3 just just for happenstance, uh, I I was tapped to cover the EA, EA booth, <laughs> which, and I, which Metal Honor seems like something that you would not be into if I were to guess. So here's the thing: I always wanted to review uh, a military game, and I did review um, a couple World War II things. It was like the Saboteur and Velvet Assassin, but generally they wouldn't let me because I have very different takes on military stuff. Yeah. Um. So I, I was when I went to the EA booth and I had a choice, like, hey, what are we going to cover? Like me and my coworkers, I was like, well, I'm going to, I'll cover Medal Medal of Honor, because <laughs> like I just I, I like I like writing about it for better or worse. And I actually did write about Battlefield Hardline for IGN. Like I love writing about this stuff. I'm just not I wasn't allowed to. Mm-hmm. So I wrote about it, and they their whole presentation was about how authentic it was. So my thing I wrote about was like, this is a game in which like you know regenerating health and like all the other weird stuff you'd expect and they say it's authentic and that's not authentic and then greg goodrich the creative director read my piece and was not pleased not at all he was he was we 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 did an interview um which was like you know he had his reps there and i had giancarlo veronini who's just the greatest boss in the world uh at the time for for me he was my he was directly over me and he was like my you know, he, we were both, you know, both sides were watching each other, basically. And it kind of needed to because it got, it was out of hand before it started. It was unbelievably tense. Like, as soon as I, like, you click play on that video, it's like, oh, this is, like, something could happen. Like, I, someone could reach across. I don't know. It was. So, I'm like, I'm like 5'9", and, you know, like, like I'm, I'm a small dude, right? Greg Goodrich is not. He's yeah. a huge dude. And uh, he's he's tall and he's built like a rock. And like when he sat down, he took out his um his keychain, and his keychain was was a gun, where it was a bullet, oh and he just slammed it on the table. Oh my god! So that was like how things started. And like I, you know, people know me as someone who's kind of brash and like I have strong opinions. I'm also kind of I'm just I'm scared of stuff yeah <laughs> understandably yes. it's like i was i was shaken already and like even when i'm interviewing like the greatest guy in the world or greatest woman in the world like i'm I'm nervous because that's it's scary to interview someone yeah and um, that never really you get more comfortable when it never fully goes away i don't want it to go away because i like i like that tension yeah it keeps like you know like i mentioned like i interviewed johnson blow like a half dozen times but i'm always nervous with him yeah um so but this was like because not only was it like he was he was mad at what I wrote, but like now he's right in front of me and he looks super angry and he's he's got like the the bullet keychain. So like it just it got off on a bad start. And then it was like he monologued a lot, and I don't feel like I, I got flustered. I got flustered right away. So I I never went back. Mm. But I, uh, so that's why it's like my worst moment in my career. But it's the best because like I saw a problem with a game and the way it was presented, and I actually went at a developer. Yeah, so you don't regret that anyway. I know you said you feel like you got flustered a little bit, so maybe you'd want to do it over. I wish I could do it of, again. Yeah, but like I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do what I did. 
it was, uh, in the game industry. It was super unique. I'm, it's and you weren't and well, and you weren't being like vindictive or anything, or like going at him and yelling. You were presenting a point based on a feature yeah. that they disagreed with. And yeah, I don't. You don't see that very often. Usually, when it's an and interview, and it was a big developer. This is EA. Yeah. This wasn't like I had a problem with like the way violence was portrayed in Hotline Miami. Like this is like this is this is big. I would not have had the guts to do that. Did they approach you with the interview idea? Oh yeah. Well, I, I got have... a person. I got a personal email, and then I was like, "Hey, Giancarlo," <laughs> you know, my boss. I was like, "Uh, what do I do?" And he, and then he, like, you would not believe what he was like. I mean, he was, he he is super protective and he is super encouraging. Mm. So he was immediately like. Like, you know, he talked to EA and he had my back and all that other stuff. But yeah, that was that was a tough moment. Did you consider saying no to it? Like, was there a big part of you that was like, this is not worth it? Or was it be, since you had already published that feature, it was really, it would be really hard to back off that? I think Giancarlo said you can say no to this because he knew that it was not going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, there was no part of me that said I could back, back <laughs> out of this. Because if like, it's really easy to be like, this game sucks or whatever. It's It's really hard to say this game sucks to developers face i mean even like i i thought i had like i really have a problem with the way roar war is presented in fiction not yeah. just video games and like that was my my chance to be like here is why this is problematic uh so no i i, I never wanted to back down even though <laughs> it would have been a lot easier and it's even getting in i've gotten emails from developers after i posted a review where they're like yeah you missed the point or you know this yep. wasn't a high enough score and even that uh affects me like i get that and you know I, i'm at a point where most comments don't really bug me like you read it and you're like okay that's whatever but when you get it directly from an email from the developer where they actually had a chance to sit down and write something even now that bugs me so i couldn't imagine being face to face with someone <laughs> at ea like that so i you know i remember watching that interview and being like holy shit it was like i think that one of the toughest things was reading comments afterwards and people were like they just did not, and I, and this is probably like ninety nine percent on me. Like they did not understand my point. Mm. Like they didn't understand the point that war is not fun, and they did not understand the point that like like fun was one of the things people just did not couldn't wrap their head around because like why would I want a game that's not fun? So that was frustrating because I really wanted more people to like see where I was coming from, even if they disagreed. Yeah. So yeah, that was tough, but like, yeah, I mean it, that was. I, I just remember because like one of my one of my best friends is is Brendan Sinclair who mm. used to work at GameSpot as a news editor. But I I've been friends with him since '98. We worked in a movie theater together. Oh wow, I did not know that. Because I actually uh, uh, I listened to you guys when you're on the hotspot back in like I was the person who sent in homework and sent in calls and stuff like that. So like <laughs> nice. I my my voice was on that you. Someone tried to yeah, – he pronounced my name, I remember, one time, and he was the only person to ever say it correctly. So I'm like, well, i got to keep listening to this show. Like, nice. fully in. Yeah, well, yeah, Brent – so Brent I – mean, and if you're wondering, Brendan did not actually help me get a job. He's, <laughs> he thought I needed to earn it. Uh, but yeah, we were, we, were, we were like best friends. And like I just remember afterwards I was like walking with him for like, like two hours in the convention center like trying to, to not break down. Yeah. That was, that was just really – that was tough for me. And like I'm, I'm not good with direct, like, violent confrontation like that. Yeah, no, I'm – I avoid confrontation whenever possible. But in terms – like, you – that always immediately after, I'm like, so much respect for doing that. Like, that was an awesome thing to do. Uh, even if you feel like it didn't turn out the way you want it to, I always thought, like, that's a super interesting different thing that 
you don't see. And you're right. It's not a way that interviews normally go in terms of just like when a writer talks to a developer, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, you might see that stuff outside the gaming sphere, but I just, I've never seen anything like that. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm so proud. And I was really happy because we have, I think that was the last day of E3. And then like, right, so after the show, like at 9 p.m., we had like our staff party. And I remember my um, EIC at the time was John Davison, who I'm a big fan of John Davison, but yeah. I just remember he was like, gave me like a huge hug because he was like, I don't know how you did that. <laughs> and it was like, but it was like, it's it's so weird. Like GameSpot at the time, like that was what my boss my, all my bosses wanted and supported yeah like the idea that like i believed and i fought and i talked and i did something good yeah like that was that was like yeah that was a really good group to work with you know it's not going to get that support most places yeah almost nowhere and you had mentioned that was either the highest point or the lowest point of yeah. your career at GameSpot. but what do you actually see as your favorite interview, either the best one in terms of the content you got out of it or the most interesting in terms of in terms of the, the person. Well, I mean, that is that is my favorite. Interview. Is that your favorite? Yeah, because that's like one of the main things that defines me as a person is how I feel about war. Because mm. I think I think of myself as empathetic and I think of myself as, as rational and peaceful generally. Like, and it's just like that's kind of what I am with, with war because like I, I really... Like I didn't review Medal of Honor because there's no way they would have. Put <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't. I actually checked but immediately did... after to see who did. I was like, that would be a really interesting follow up to have you review that. But, but I needed I needed to do a follow up because it would have been insane if I didn't. So I yeah. did write it and play it. And what I wrote about was the way they present um your enemies in that. And I wrote about like the way because they they present the other as monsters basically, yeah. and they they flesh out who you are as a fighter. As a, as a soldier, but they don't flesh out who you're fighting against, and so it sound, it's basically like you're fighting zombies. Mm. And I feel like that, and it was the same thing in the Clint Eastwood movie, um, American Sniper. Yeah. No, just, and I feel yeah. like that, and, and when you watch Fox News and you listen to rhetoric, you just hear we don't think about the people that we're fighting and killing in other countries as, anyone, as, as like people. Like, they're not given motivations. They're just, they're just terrorists. They're just radical extremists they're just whatever we we say they are and i find that that is really damaging and so this is not a game issue this is just a societal problem it's like well that's why i'm i was so proud of that interview because like this is something that's like innately me that's not just like i like braid like it's innately who i am and i was able to like talk about that with someone yeah even if he wasn't uh listening <laughs> yeah, like, not I the most receptive got... person in the world to that idea yeah so i think i mean if, if we're giving advice, like, who are you? What do you care about? What do you believe? And I think part of the reason um, that I shifted, because I didn't really review games at games about the last two years. It was like, you know, it was like a tenth of what I used to do. Like, I, I entered a new relationship in 2011. I should know this. She, she's my wife now. <laughs> but she doesn't care about games. But she's she went to, like, BC University, Boston College, because it's Jesuits. And she's, like, super spiritual, basically. And, like, I started approaching the way I wrote with, like, that kind of slant, which is who I am innately also, but I never wrote about games like that before. Yeah. So all of a sudden it was like, I can be empathetic and I can write about games. And that's when I wrote about, like, the Santa Barbara killing and how it's kind of the toxic masculinity that's in the messaging that kind of caused that. And I talked about the games that I love that have that message. Like, I wrote about Killer, Killer is Dead. Is that a oh, game? Oh, yeah. That's, that's a game. I wrote about that because I wanted people to understand, like, I'm not lecturing you. I'm talking about, like, this is what I consume. This is what you consume. And this is why this stuff is, is troubling. 
and we need to like understand like I don't think media can change you as much if you know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, we should still enjoy this stuff. You need to understand what American Sniper is saying to you. Like you can't just go in with with like a blank mind and just accept that that you know people in Iraq are demons. Like that's 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 bad for you, I think. Do you know have you played any war games that you feel actually do well to humanize the other side or do you think pretty much everyone Oh, I'm ready. Velvet Velvet uh, Assassin. Oh my god. So I hadn't thought about that game until uh, when I was on Wild Guesses with you and Kevin. <laughs> yep. Like the music or something of Velvet Assassin came up. And that was the first time I thought about that game <laughs> since it came out. Um, yeah, I think that IGN, or not IGN, I think Giant Bomb, I can't remember who it was. He gave it like a one. Yeah. I think, I think it was Brad. So, I mean, one of the things I loved about that game, and it was a, it was a stock standard stealth game. Yes. So you're in World War II, you're an assassin. And you can like eavesdrop on on the Nazis, and and I remember in one place it's like uh, it's a camp where people are held, POW camp, and the the soldiers are like, we should release them, and then and it's like we'll play a game called Rabbit Chase, and then when they're running away, we'll shoot them in the back. And I was like, oh my god, that's horrific! I've never yeah. even heard of such a thing. And then you listen to some other ones in another point, and they're like. I don't like being in this war anymore. I don't believe in what's going on. I want to go home to my wife or I want to go back to France and drink their wine. I don't want to do this. And it's like, that's one of the few times I've ever seen a Nazi like portrayed as a person <laughs> in like any medium ever. Yeah. Cause they're always the guy who wants to shoot the prisoners in the back. That's who, that's who they are. Right. But mm. they're not like, there's a lot of Nazis who are just dudes who were born in Germany. Um, and just like there are were horrible, horrible people on the British side and the American side and the Russian side and every other side in World War II, there there's some good people too. And I think that that's important to understand that not like God, I don't want to defend Nazis, but not all Nazis are the Nazis that we think of as Nazis. Yeah, and I I feel like a couple of people made that point about that game, but overall it did feel like it got overshadowed because people just saw it as here is this vision cone stealth game where uh you pretty much die immediately when you get caught and that was a fun uh review to kind of look as a whole when you look at metacritic and you're seeing all these various scores for it to see like hey this is a time where people really disagreed on a game and people took the values you know they hold close and that affected uh how they yeah. saw that game and that was super interesting because uh, you don't yeah, see I that very that, often because it is that is a game where like you really see the person who reviewed it mm. Like I don't feel like necessarily my my Dragon Quest Heroes review that it published this week. I don't think you you learn about me that, that much in that. Though I hope you learn something about me. But like I think that the Velvet Assassin, you really learn about people's priorities and who they are and what they care about. Because like you know, I mean, every criticism I read, I totally agreed with. But it was like I didn't I didn't care that it was a stock stealth game because I was like totally invested in the world and the story and the characters and especially the enemies yeah in a way that you just don't you just don't get in war games or war movies or books mm -hmm. yeah i mean it was closer to like the things they carried than than call of duty that's for sure <laughs> and that book if you've never heard no, of yeah, no i actually read that one but okay. uh i'm enjoying a newer wave of like critical thinkers in terms of like looking at games and describing them uh i remember austin walker's battlefield hardline review i think it was on uh, pace magazine that looked at kind of this game in the context of uh like police violence mm -hmm. and digging into it in that way and that's interesting and i actually i think i'd retweeted something it was a quote uh, i think it was nick capazzoli had been talking about it 
And he had mentioned in this email, he got advice that said uh, the games media landscape is overrun with writers who are fans of games for their critical thinkers about games. And oh, that was just that was just a few days ago, right? Yeah. Yes, okay. and that was something that really hit home for me because I mean I've run into that a lot where it it seems like it is there's a person who when they're like 15 or 16 like I really like video games how can I get into this and you start uh you you see like IGN and GameSpot like oh, I'll just I'll start writing about them even if they they look at a game as a fan instead of someone who is critically looking at this product and that's something I get for some reason judged for a lot when I look through when I ever apparently feel sad and want to look through comments of my reviews um and there are people who say like why didn't they get a fan of the series to write about this game or review this game and i mm-hmm. just take so much exception with that where it's like i we don't have to have someone who loves this genre and this series and everything about this to review it why can't you take someone who you know knows about it like i'm knowledgeable of things but i don't have to be a fan to review something at least i don't think so well, that was one of the things because I, you know, I, I reviewed. I'm just going to keep pimping this review for as Gianna did. Um, so I said it was like a fun but forgettable game. I gave it a six two, and I, my comparisons were things like Shadows of Mordor and um, Hyrule Warriors, because I said like this this game it just it's not it's not that good from a gameplay perspective. But if you like the license, you're going to love it. Mm. And I think that that's true of like a lot, and it's and that's why you see, it's it's so hard to separate like. I love Halo, or I love Marvel, or I love whatever the license is. It's so hard for people to separate that with, like, but what what is this that I'm playing or doing or watching or seeing or reading? And I think I think that's... Like, people don't want that separation, but I think it's necessary. So yeah, like, Dragon, Dragon Quest Heroes is, like, a totally a forgettable, fine game, but you're going to love it if you love Dragon Quest. Yeah. Just like you're going to love Shadow of Mordor if you like Lord of the Rings, but if you don't, that game's whatever. The game's all right. Um, I more often than not enjoy reviews from people who are like coming at it from an outsider. Like, hey, here's someone. If I love Metal Gear Solid, which I do, uh, and I uh, play it and think like, oh, this is great. This is a nine, whatever. Um, I want to read someone's opinion who either doesn't like that series or is unfamiliar with it because it makes me think about that in a different way. I don't get sometimes I get angry at it. I think there's this initial and I think I was talking to Carolyn about this, this initial anger it's kind of childish for me where i see something that i disagree with in a review and i'm like why would they think that and you get upset but if i actually stop sit down and think about it it's more fun for me to read uh, opinions that are completely diametrically opposed to mine to get more out of it like i say that and, and but when, like whenever i hear people say saying that is agree with us spelunky i'm just like they don't get it <laughs> um and i think they generally don't get it because spelunky is complicated but <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i do i do want that that outs like the outsider perspective is important. Mm. Like, and I think it's important for everything. Cause like, here's the thing when we were growing up, uh, I don't know about you, but all of my friends loved like sports games and wrestling games and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Yep. Like we played NHL 94. We played whatever, whatever Tecmo football. We loved all of it. That's not the case anymore. And I think it would be really important if to review Madden as someone who like, I love football, but as someone who doesn't love football, like, my buddies and I used to like Mutant League. Why aren't my buddies playing Madden? Or maybe they are playing Madden. Why are they playing Madden? Like, you don't see that anymore, and I don't understand why. Because it's so insular, and it's like, yeah, congratulations, people who like football like Madden, but that's that's a small part of the population. Like, everybody played NBA Jam. Every single person who liked games liked NBA Jam. 
why and why is an NBA live like that or not live 2K? Oh god, live's so bad right now. Yeah, it's... yeah, but we we do feel this need to like you need to you need to love wrestling to review wrestling, and it's like what? But I used to love wrestling games, <laughs> and everyone should love those games. They're yeah. fun. They're innately fun, aren't they? That's like that's a problem for me. That fan thing. One of my favorite reviews that I did, I'm not even gonna be able to remember the name of the game. It was an indie RTS. Uh, no, it was a tower defense. It was a tower defense. It was a weird game. It was Defenders of Time. It was Defenders of Time. I've never um, heard of it. It's not a lot of people have that review got like three comments and I think two of them from the developer. But like I, oh I remember um, this is when I was writing for Kevin and Kevin had sent me an email saying like, hey, do you want to review this? And I told him directly like, like, I absolutely will. But please know that like I have barely ever played tower defense and barely ever played like uh, like real time strategy games. And he was super great in terms of saying like, you know, you don't have to review this, of course, but. I think it would be interesting for you to try this and see what it does for you. Like, see if it, like, stretches you creatively. And it absolutely did. Like, I uh, did a lot of research about the, uh, both the, you know, games in that genre. I played the hell out of that game and really got a good uh, grasp of it. And writing that review was super difficult because I had to make sure, like, I was not missing something that other people who were familiar with the genre would understand. And although I'm not going to say that's, like, the most well-written review I've ever done, it was the most rewarding and I learned the most from it. And I think it's interesting for people to take it from that angle. Like I would love to read a Madden review from someone who hasn't played Madden in a while, or I would love to read an NBA 2K16 review from someone who doesn't really care about basketball and see what they get out of it. Uh, I don't think you're going to see that in a major outlet like IGN or like GameSpot, but I would seek out that and try to read that. I mean, the thing is like Carolyn Pettit, for instance, would not like Madden. Yes. But I think that that and, – and there's a reason why nobody would want her opinion on Madden because, I mean, it just wouldn't be valuable. But, like, that's that's not a fault of the media. I think it's a fault of EA because EA has just gotten really insular with that. Yeah. And that's true with everything. Like, I mean, it would have been – I don't think anyone would want to read my Forza review because I don't like those kind of games. I but... would read your Forza review. <laughs> it would be, <laughs> be weird. Yeah, no, I got totally. But I did want to call back on one thing you said because you talked about, like, oh, I don't want to get anything wrong. Um with the tower defense, I don't yeah, know, I don't know you said it was tower defense. Tower defense, I? RTS, Defenders of Time, whatever the hell it was. I don't know what this is. It was so like there was like this piece written by a publication this week. I don't remember. Was it Deadspin who talked about how uh, he wanted to play the Xbox One and it took forever to update stuff and screw this generation? It's so annoying. Mm-hmm. Did, did you read this piece? I, I didn't read. I saw the headline. Did not read the full piece. Okay, so part of it, the part of the problem people had is he didn't do any research. And I actually don't have a problem with that. And this is going back to your review. Like, I think it's okay to review and talk about things as an outsider and give a complete outsider perspective. And you might be wrong, but it doesn't matter if you're wrong because it doesn't innately tell you anything. That needs to be preempted by someone saying, like, I am an outsider? Or do you think it's fine just to go right into it? Uh, I mean, if you're a good writer, you're going to be able to, to, to squeeze that in anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, cause I, I agree on, on one hand, like, you know, you don't, you don't want to get stuff wrong with a review, but it's like, what if you do? Like, I don't, I wouldn't want to get something wrong. Like, you know, license game. Like I don't want to get anything wrong about Dragon Quest if I'm reviewing Dragon Quest cause people just discredit me. But like, I, like, I think that there's like a good thing to being wrong about stuff in some ways because it shows that the game itself or whatever you're reviewing isn't self-contained and is just this insular thing that kind of excludes people. I think it's important to know and point out, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I weird for this? I don't think you're weird for that because 
you shouldn't, especially if you're trying to, you know, appeal to a wide audience, you shouldn't have a game that you need this specific history or the specific knowledge going in. But yeah, I mean, I we haven't seen a lot of reviews like that. I, w- I mean, I would enjoy reading them. It's an interesting it's thought, weird, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's it's an interesting way to think about it because I mean, if I didn't know anything about football and had never played a Madden game, Madden would almost be it'd be so opaque, it'd be so difficult to get in there and understand what's going on. Um, but you would have been able to review Mutant League football. Yes, absolutely. Anyone can review Mutant League football. Yeah, even if you don't know about football, which the, yeah, I never even thought about that. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I feel like NHL '94, which was a sim back in the day, anyone could review that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you needed to be a hockey guy, but you need to be a hockey guy now because you're going to look like an idiot. And so this is related to uh, my biggest criticism of NBA 2K16. So that game with the uh, the pro stick and all the different moves you can do and everything, all the different defensive patterns, the screens, everything that's going on. Um, I watch a lot of basketball and I play a lot of basketball games and I play a lot of basketball in general. And uh, it took me a long time to get the mechanics down and I was digging for information on that game and there's like four videos that explain how to play that game they're like really short it's like Anthony Davis and Steph Curry and the players that got on the cover saying like to do a spin move do the right stick in a circle and it's stuff that oh my god if that if that game and I got completely grilled for this in the comments once again I had to stop reading those but it was a weird day uh, but there's so much going on and there's so little communication that even someone like me who knows a lot about basketball really had to dig. I looked, I actually ended up going online and looking for like other guides and videos to be like, okay, I'm struggling to penetrate this defense at all. And my screens aren't working. And you actually found videos that helped me out, but none of that is in the game. Nothing like they tell you, here's the controls and here's a couple of things, but there's no tutorialization in that. And it suffers so much. And it's such a, when everything is clicking and you understand how to play that game, it's wonderful. It feels so good. But that game almost actively works against you and does not tell you anything. And that's a problem. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I think that's I think that is a problem. And that's kind of why I wish God, I wish we weren't as professional with our reviews. <laughs> cuz I feel like we are bailing out the developers with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like cuz I I love 2K basketball, by the so, way. I actually actually love everything 2K does cuz I love their presentation. I think it's super fun. Um but yeah, like if they're like they they need to be held to the height of the standard, and it's like we make fun of of Nintendo, I think, as a community because they're just for kids and they don't evolve and blah blah blah. And Nintendo is everybody should be Nintendo because they like they really they they they're inclusive, mm. which is great because there's there's so few developers who are inclusive nowadays, and their games are self-contained and they explain what they what they what they want. Like I just. I feel like they're basically writing the rules and everybody else is ignoring those rules. Not everybody, but a lot of people do. Um, and going on that same like track, if you look at uh, Little Big Planet versus Mario Maker, the oh way God. the way that Nintendo like sets you up with these tools and like doles them out slowly and explains how to use them, and they have the advantage of everyone has played Mario, so like a lot of those different pieces are more familiar. But I never wanted to make a level of, I enjoy Little Big Planet but I never wanted to make a level in that game I want to buy a Wii U to get Mario Maker just because I want to make levels like it looks so intuitive and fun and so much of that is in all of their games where unlike NBA 2K like you can pick up a Nintendo game and you get it and it helps you get there in a way that's not dull like 
in your face tutorials it does that through gameplay and through a level of communication that just works so yeah i agree like nintendo is perfect at that yeah i'm i'm a, I'm a nintendo fan <laughs> <laughs> rare fan yeah. first nintendo fan second but i guess i guess that that's like this this weird advice and because like, i think like i did uh yeah it's not an internship so there's like three people who were trying to get a position at games beat a month ago and the way that they did is they gave us all a one week trial oh yeah i remember this I saw that. Uh, I chose the first week because I would have been super nervous to wait around for three weeks. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get the job, spoiler. But one <laughs> of the things I had to write about was, was tech, which is not my strength. I'm a games guy, but it was a tech and games position. And I had to review uh, a laptop and I had to review a router. Oh, and weird. I, yeah, this is like, this is, this is not my strength. Like, I'm using a router right now, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about it. But my, my, the way I, I presented it, I mean, I'm not. I'm not an expert, and I didn't lie about being an expert, and I just did it as, like, I'm a human being, and here's here's what I feel like as a human being. Mm-hmm. And my editor, Jason Wilson, actually really liked that approach because he thought it was, you know, it was relatable and it was easy to understand what I was talking about. And I conveyed all the information you would need to know about this router, even though I don't know anything about the technical stuff. Yeah. And it feels like we don't have that same kind of path with games generally. Because if because if if you don't know everything about Metal Gear and you review Metal Gear, people are going to be like, "Oh, what is this idiot now?" You get torched. It's unbelievable what happens with that. If you get one detail wrong, it's like, "Well, this person has no idea." Like they found some guy off the street, gave him a console, and said, "Ah, you should play this video game." And I understand, like, because we are experts, and that's why we write about this stuff. Mm. But I feel like you, we we can we we know how to write, and we know how we know games well enough that we should be able to write about anything without tons of research. Yeah. And if and if it doesn't work, it's kind of on you. I I feel like to some extent I've never actually tried to do this. I don't think in games, but I just I just realized that like the outsider perspective is so is so shunned. You should try to do this now. This should be your next like review pitch instead of like I don't want to like give me a game I know nothing about and let me write about it as an outsider. That would I mean that would be fun. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if it's gonna get picked up, but I, it would be fun. There's not there's not many games that I could I could say that as. <laughs> I mean there's plenty of franchises, but the, as far as games, it's like uh, MMOs. Let me let me give thing. you my Defenders of Time game <laughs> that has this weird RTS tower defense, and you can review that. Oh god, but I know RTSs and and tower defense. Let's see, then we can compare my review and your review and see if I was totally off. <laughs> <laughs> be a fun experiment. Uh, you had mentioned you did like that week long trial. Uh, was it Games Beat yep. that you were trying? Yep. I know you you freelance at uh, IGN. And uh, have you freelanced anywhere else recently? No, I've actually put freelancing on hold for a while. I've been working on a book, and my wife really wants me to work on this book, which is awesome of her. So I, I did that for like a, a while, the freelance, and now I've just been working on the book mostly. So, uh, I was going to ask you kind of like what your current uh, – are you, so you're not full-time freelance. Can, can, can you talk about the book, or is it still under wraps that we can't talk about the book? I can't really talk. So here's the thing. It's terrible. <laughs> And it's bummed me out. So, like, I'm doing... Do you know this, like, November thing where yeah. you write a book in a month? Oh, so yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm starting over from scratch. And I'm going to write the entire book. Oh, my God. Uh, and then I'm going to see what happens. How much have like, you already written? The, the thing is, I went in with a message in mind. Mm. And, like, I was trying to write, like, because I really had the strong idea that I wanted to write about. But I don't have characters and I don't have plot in mind. And that's the wrong way to approach a book. It needs to be the opposite. Yeah. So I'm trying to go from the other vantage and try to get... Like, this is a real character and real plot, and this is a real story. And it happens to have this idea, but, I, but like, yeah, that's hard. Um, so that's why I need, I, yeah. So I've almost been writing what I call a skeleton for the past, like, six or eight months, where, like, I'm writing, like, 
a full book, but just like these pieces of chapters at a time mm. that don't necessarily connect, and it's not working at all for me. Well, I don't know how to write a book is the problem. <laughs> See, I don't know how to do that either. I've always wanted to, and it's one of those like bucket list life goal things. Like, I should probably write a book eventually. I don't even know where to start. Like, that's it sounds terrifying to me, but uh, let's say uh, you go through November, you write this entire book, and you start working on publishing that. What what are the plans after that? Do you do you want to be a full-time freelancer? Do you want to find a full-time job outside of games? What's kind of the goal? Uh, to be an author. Oh, oh so, so moving forward, you want to write more books. Yeah, that's I actually have a second book in mind. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, that's what I've wanted to be my whole life. Is I, want, I don't want to be a best-selling author. I want to be the author who I studied in school, <laughs> which is like the most egotistical thing. But that's like, <laughs> I like, like that. I mean, I like my, you know, my favorite authors are, are J.D. Salinger, Tom Robbins, and J.K. Rowling mm. uh, for very different reasons. And I just like, like, I know I could do it, I, I think. And yeah, but I have like, I have way more advantages than anyone else. So my wife is a nurse and she's letting me write it. Yeah. Which is huge because what the heck. And also my sister-in-law edited uh, the last three or four Harry Potter books. Oh, so there's an advantage. She's like, she's, it's funny. We were at a wedding recently and I was like, does anyone here, like, do you ever go places and people are like, realize that you're just like the superstar? And she's like, no, like it's only in circles that people realize it, but she's got like two books and she does, she goes to Singapore and stuff to do conferences and speak. Wow. Like if you, if you want a book, like she knows everything about books. Hmm. So like once I have something, she's, she said she'll help me out. And she says she only tells that to, to family members. That so is like, no, that's a huge advantage. It's an advantage, and it's also tons of pressure because I actually have, I have, I have a wife letting me do it, and I have a sister-in-law who will who will read it and know stuff. So like, now I just have to actually do the hard parts. So you'd be fully okay with uh, moving forward writing books and like, of course, continuing to play games, but not being in a position where you're writing about games all the time. So what I imagine is if I'm a published author and I'm, and, you know, I imagine that if, if this gets published, it's going to be really good. Mm. Like that's kind of my mindset. Cause yeah. I think, I think that what I'm writing about is important and, and, and hopefully it'll be fun because it is fiction. I'm hoping that I would get like a column that I could write about games. Cause like, that's what I like. I like the game spot. Just like, I'm going to write about what's on my mind. Yeah. And I don't, you know, it's 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 so different when I have to pitch stuff. Because just the other day, I was I was I was tweeting about how how Halo Five has no reason to exist, and and Destiny's kind of changed shooters so significantly that like something like that is kind of lame at this point. Mm. Uh, and I don't even like Destiny, but like I don't have a platform to even write that except for Twitter or my blog. So yeah, ideally and, I would I would be able to write about games just as a columnist. And that is a good. Like that's a good pitch. Like what you just said is something that someone would buy. Have you? Do, do you not enjoy writing pitches at all, or is it one of those things you just don't really fully know how to do? I don't know how to write a pitch. My <laughs> pitches would be like, "Hey, Cat Bailey of U.S. Gamer, I kind of want to write about this. Is that cool?" And she's like, "Yeah, I guess yeah, that would be pretty good." It's it's such a weird process because I I don't like I hate writing pitches, and that's one of maybe that's one of the main reasons I just write reviews at this point because I have this relationship with Gamespot and with uh, Dan and IGN and. Uh, some other people and uh, two sites have recently reached out to me who are like, Hey, we're you know looking for new freelancers. Would you like to start sending pitches in? And the first thing I realized was God damn it. I don't have any pitches ready like at all. And I used to have a document um, with each pitch being like 200, 250 words and they're all like tight and edited and ready to go. And like, 
I got nothing at this point. And pitch rating is so weird. Like, I'm going to encapsulate pretty much this this giant feature I'm going to write, but not give you so much. And also just find all these ways to make it super interesting and exactly the type of content you want. And I learned how to write them from Nathan Minier's Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right book, which is kind of, which is a really, it's a great uh, primer for, hey, do you want to get into freelancing? You should probably read this book. And that's why I tell people all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I've gotten better at it, but I think I forgot how to write pitches at this point. It's it's hard to write pitches. Yeah. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, it's I guess it's just so different than what I used to do because my pitch used to be going to my boss at GameSpot and being like, can I write this? Yeah. And when it was John Carlo, would be like, yeah, that sounds great. And it was, <laughs> after John Carlo, was like, no, don't write that. <laughs> and once you get to a certain point with an editor, even as a freelancer, you can kind of do more of that. We're like, hey, I have this, one random idea. Uh, do you want to do my um my news feature for Gamespot, which was like the uh, the formation of Tan Gentleman, which is the the main guy from Spec Ops the Line, Corey Davis, um, and different Call of Duty and Tomb Raider uh, developers. I didn't really pitch that as this long. Here's this 250 word pitch. I remember just going to Kevin and being like, "Hey, I have this. I think what's an exclusive? Do you want this?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." So like that that's the kind of relationship that I love. But starting yeah. a new relationship with uh, a new outlet and pitching that way, God, it's so much legwork just to sell a feature, and then sometimes you don't hear back for two weeks, and then they're like, "Nope." So that I mean, yeah, that is why reviews are like so much easier to do because you don't have to pitch a review. Yeah, and sometimes editors will just come to you, which is the greatest feeling in the world. I'm like, hey, here's a code. Want to review this? I'm like, yes. I don't have to do anything. You just give it to me, and it's so much easier than me <laughs> yes. searching out and trying to sell all these ideas. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, the advice, I guess, when you when you're not, is you're supposed to ping people all the time, right? And be like, do you have a game for me to review? Yeah, that's. I, I, there's a moment where I thought Kevin might hate me because I would just be like, hey, Kevin, can I review this or do you have anything for me to review? Actually, one thing that's great to do is uh, a lot of indie devs will just, if they know that you're like a somewhat successful freelancer, they'll start sending you codes like, hey, do you want to review this? I would just take those directly to Kevin and be like, do you want this? And that's how a lot of my reviews happened. And that's why there's a stretch of like five reviews where each game was like three hours long. And it was the greatest stretch of my life. Oh, that sounds great. It was fantastic. Uh, One time Kevin gave me these two indie games. Don't even remember the names of them. Each one was like two hours long. And I I was the most thankful person in the world. (laughs) Like, no, this is great. Just don't ever send me another JRPG, please. I don't want to do that. So, so you're thinking about getting in reviews. Don't. Uh, it's weird because the industry needs great JRPG writers because there's like there's like three who exist. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, so on the one hand, you could you could totally have a great niche, but uh, we advise you not to do that. Yeah. Um, and going unless, back... unless you're getting a lot of money for review, and you're not going to. I'm sorry. Let me let me dash your dreams really quickly. You're probably not going to. Um, unless you get paid by the word, which isn't much of a thing anymore unfortunately no, usually like one cent a word when they do stuff like that yeah it's ugh. so going back to features really quickly um what is and it's i'm springing this on you what's your favorite feature you ever wrote um when i wrote about that uh there was like a, a bill about video game violence i think it was at the supreme court mm. and it was before it was being it was before it was decided and i wrote about um you know maybe this violence thing has gone too far and I kind of talked about my relationship with violence over the years because I was you know, a Mortal Kombat Doom guy. And then I just talked about what it is currently. And I, and I just talked about, like, I don't ever want to censor us. I want to always be able to have the ability to do... God, the first thing I thought of was the microwave tunnel in Metal Gear Solid 4, but that's not actually that violent or gross. No, that's a great scene, but yeah. It's one of the best ever. But I want to have the ability to do this stuff. 
But we have to be smart about whether we were sons of Vlada. But I basically was talking because I, I I have gotten to a point where I think the violence has gotten gross, mm. and I can't really play stuff like like God of War anymore because it just kind of upsets me a little bit. And I feel like we're not responsible with our violence. Yeah. Um. And I and I and I wrote a lot about I wrote I wrote about violence because I just I I don't know. That's something you don't really see on websites is type, kind of condemning violence. But I just wanted to like. I wanted to question if we need as much violence as we do. I feel like it is very exclusionary because, like, for instance, my wife would never play a game that's super violent. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who don't want to play that, but I feel like it's almost the norm in AAA games. Uh, and it's just it's just so different than it was during the Doom game, the the Doom era. Mm. Uh, so I think that that's one of my favorite opinion pieces that I wrote. That I was one that I got a lot of pushback from. I was going to say, I, anytime you question a norm, anytime you question something that is very common throughout games, that's when you get the pushback. And I mm-hmm. think we don't do that enough. We don't question... If something is common in every game, we kind of assume it has to be there or it's okay. And I mean, we're doing this more and more, but it's fun when we can like look at something, this common thread, and say, like, why is this here? Like, does this need to be this way? Can we do this better? And even you questioning uh, the existence of Halo Five, and I do the same for Gears of War Four, where it's like sometimes the, like the train just keeps rolling and we don't stop to question things. And yeah, some, most interesting conversation can come from that. Yeah. So yeah, when I when I question that, and then like obviously the, the Medal of Honor one I wrote about you know viewing yeah. the other as monsters. And how damaging that is. <laughs> like, like these, th- those, those are the kind of ones that got. Uh, that one was was interesting because it was uh, I was I was viewed as a terrorist. Basically. Ooh, fun! Uh, and that was also the only time that my sister, who does not play games, like made an account and went in the comments to explain what I was. I was oh like, no! Yeah. And I was like, you don't have to, you don't have to do this, Michelle. But yeah, but she was. I mean, because she's she's very passionate about war stuff, also. But like. Yeah, that one that one was one of the most interesting because when you read the comments and there's like 20,000 comments or whatever, like there's a lot of people who think you're an idiot and a terrorist and there's a lot of people who say I never thought of that before. And like when I read that, I was like, "Wow." Like I I'm kind of getting people to understand where I'm coming from and why this stuff can be damaging. So and yeah, that stuff is important. Probably the most rewarding comment. Even if there's for every 1,000 you're a terrorist, there's one person who says like, "Thanks for this. I never thought about it before." Totally worth it. Yes. Because there's also the people who are like, I wish, I'm glad someone finally said that. Mm. And I like those, but that's very different than the, I didn't think about this before. Yes. Yeah. You've opened my eyes. Yeah. Uh, if you're wondering, the only, uh, so like the head of, of all of CBS Interactive was Jim Lanzone, still is. Mm. The only thing he ever retweeted of mine was about Flappy Bird. <laughs> and it wasn't just of me. Like when he did that, it was, it was, nobody had ever had anything retweeted. What was it about Flappy Bird? <laughs> writing about oh god what was it it was something about like um it was in defense of it because like people didn't like what it was and i was i think i was defending it from like uh uh like it's okay to be simple and like gameplay wise and be accessible and fun and it's also like we kind of pushed this guy away Mm. and forced him out of the industry almost with our like rampant hate and, and vileness and that was the one he spread that was the one, like, I guess he actually knew, because he didn't know video games, <laughs> and everybody, there was, like, a competition for the last few months that I was there of, like, trying to get him to follow one of us on Twitter, and whoever, whoever like, won, you know, it was, like, a huge, it was a huge deal. <laughs> and I remember, like, 
our intern, uh, Alex Newhouse, who's just, he was fantastic. He was like 19 years old and he like tweeted to Lynn, Jim Lanzone about how it was such an honor to work in the same building as him or something. Or like, oh, <laughs> you're such a kiss ass. Yeah, that doesn't he count. Didn't, he still didn't follow it. Oh, <laughs> did he at least, did he retweet that? Did he reply to him? No, he didn't. He just ignored it. Yeah, it was funny because he did follow like everyone else, like from chow.com and other C's, like, uh, and seen that and other like, um, CBS interactive properties. But there's no one from GameSpot, oh. <laughs> including like the, my like you know the EIC. Like he didn't follow anyone from GameSpot. Maybe he just really hates video games, just passionately. He he might. Who knows? <laughs> just begrudgingly he has might, GameSpot there. Like my flash, my flappy bird thing. Good old oh, flappy God. bird. Oh God. God, how many broken iPhones from that game? Oh my God, I like that. What was that copter follow-up one? I don't even remember what it was called. But he oh, had the follow-up. sequel, the sequel that he made. Yeah. That one was stupid. See, I was actually pretty good at that one. So I, really? Yeah, that was so the one. Hard. I was at like 50 at one point and just oh, like stupid. Yeah, then, then I deleted it because speaking of addictive games, that got to a point where uh, I need to stop doing this. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't actually like Flappy Bird, but I but I think that what it was was important and, and there's a place for it. Mm-hmm. But there was a game that Terry Cavanaugh made that I can't remember what it was called. That was a Flappy Bird knockoff that was phenomenal. Oh, God. And I was what was like, that called? I don't know, but I was like, Flappy Terry, Terry Cavanaugh makes a game a week. That guy's prolific. Mm. But I was like, Flappy Bird is like its ju- its existence is justified because of this game. <laughs> Flappy Bird spawned a much better game. So better Flappy Bird Mario Maker levels now that are stupid hard. God, I really want to get Mario Maker. I might just end up breaking and getting even with all the NX stories going on. I might just get a Wii U. I. Mm. It's 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 something special. Yeah. Um. Okay. So at the end of I didn't tell you about this before because we had a 30 minute conversation about destiny but uh at the end of these podcasts i always like to kind of have one last tip that i leave off with people so if you have one too if you can think of one while i'm talking uh just to kind of encapsulate the conversation and uh one tip that i wanted to give was uh i recently i was in anaheim for my full-time job and on this randomly on the spot i was told like hey by the way the interviewer who does our live on camera interviews is going to be out and you need to interview two people uh mm. which i am not <laughs> i did i did i did theater for four years so like i've learned to speak in front of people but wait characters. you were in the theater were, were you in plays i was scrooge i was aladdin i was <laughs> you were uh, aladdin? i was aladdin i had to wear like a hat and oh yeah i um i went to like regional chorus like i did <laughs> i oh, um yeah i like I'm not gonna say I'm great. I I um <laughs> quick quick aside. I was homeschooled until eighth grade. Uh, and wow. I was yeah. So I was homeschooled until eighth grade, and then I um was like thrown into public school, which was the hardest experience of my life. And um ninth grade decided that I would try out for chorus, and my teachers like you should start taking this more seriously because you're really good. And then I got into like the upper level vocal ensemble. I had no past experience at all. Um, I started taking lessons from him, and I ended up being like the lead in every single play for the last four years. So oh it's God. it's a weird thing that has helped me in terms of uh, it's made interviewing people easier. Um, so well, I had you that just ex- burst into song. I, gee, I've always considered doing that during one of these episodes. Is just suddenly going into like <laughs> like I can show you the world and start going really. Yeah, it's it's a weird. I have a weird past, but so. Uh, like randomly on the spot, uh, my the president of my company is like, you, "Can you do these interviews?" And initially, I said, "Can we find someone else?" Because I don't love doing it. being a character on stage is very different than being yourself in an interview. Um, 
but I ended up doing it. And for the first time ever, I, I, I watched that because I was uploading it to our YouTube. I didn't cringe the entire time watching myself. And I think, Ooh. which is a great feeling. And I think what that was, was going through my career, every opportunity I've had to talk on a mic, be on a podcast, do an interview, uh, or be in front of a camera, I've tried to take it to try to get better and better at it. And it's something that um, if you ever want a full-time job, let's say at GameSpot, um, you need to, especially now, have uh, on-camera experience. And Mm -hmm. if you want to get into YouTube, you need to be able to understand how to talk uh, into a mic either by yourself or with someone else. So if you are getting into freelancing... Of course, it's you can try to stay and just do writing exclusively, and you're going to find success to a certain extent. But whenever possible, like try to get on a mic, try to join someone on a podcast if they ask you. Try to interview people and record those interviews and listen back. Because I used to hate listening to myself uh, on any sort of audio format. Anything I would ever do, a presentation, uh, we had a public speaking class where we'd record them, and they'd play them in front of the class. And that was a nightmare. But I'm finally at a point where even though I have a long way to go, I actually think like I'm starting to get okay at this. So yeah, anyone who's getting into that, you can be an exclusive writer and that's fine. But I would suggest any way you can start talking to Mike, start getting out there and start expanding that skill set. So that's my tip based off of and also that's my tip plus my story about me being Aladdin. That's pretty good. I I was never Aladdin. I can't sing. I did sing. uh, My wife and I went to a karaoke bar in San Francisco and sang A Whole New World. Oh, yes. Which would have been great, but it was it was this place called the Mint, which is uh, like near the Bose Triangle. If you're if you're in the city, it's a ringer karaoke bar. What? Every single person was fantastic. Isn't that the scariest thing? Sorry to go one more aside. We had um at, last year I was in Anaheim for the same company, and we had a live band karaoke event, which we had a conference of like 500 people were in this room, and um. Everyone was saying, like, you have to go up to Saya because you have this, you know, you were in theater. The first, like, five people, this is a software convention. The first five people, just, it's as if they've been singing all their life, belted out these songs, and immediately I'm like, there's no way I'm going up there. Like, everyone, <laughs> I've been hustled. Everyone's a professional here. We're at a completely different convention. It's so scary when you're at a karaoke thing, and everyone's just like, oh, by the way, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. Listen to my beautiful voice. It's, I think it should be, I think that should be illegal. Exactly. Like that's not fair, and it was it was like it was like the woman before us was like belting out uh was it rolling what is the Adele song oh like the rolling in the the deep <laughs> yeah and I was like you know this is and she sounded better than Adele and I was like okay we don't even and we were terrible my wife is even a worse singer than I am <laughs> we're both terrible singers yeah so it was just like this this really this really I mean we had fun with it. But at the same time, it was like really humiliating because everybody else and the, and people clapped and they were nice. And but it was almost like you, you know. always want to wait for someone who's like pretty bad. Like I, I would always do that in public speaking too, where they would wait for like wait for the person who said like a dozen times in the first twenty seconds, and then go immediately after that person so you look good. That's my other tip. Wait for someone who's not very good. Go immediately after really and look better. <laughs> yeah, one of my this is this is a sidetrack a little bit. It's fine. One of the things I always want to do, have you ever been in like a lecture hall and then like, or like, you know, in college and someone uh, gives a great answer that's like long and eloquent and amazing? Mm. Uh, I, <laughs> I always wanted to. And then once I actually did, like I had my hand raised and they're like, you know, you know, Jacqueline first and then Tom. Mm. And then Jacqueline gives the best answer ever. And then I was like, oh, I was just going to say that. <laughs> but nobody realized that it was a great thing that I said. Um <laughs> 
Because <laughs> that's, you know, just steal. Just steal. I was just going to say the same thing. Oh, I said the exact same thing, except a little bit more eloquently, but I don't want to, you yeah, know. Yeah, her, hers is okay. I mean, it's a little garbage. But, <laughs> you should have uh, heard the thing I had, but I'm not going to yes. do that. I'm not going to do that to her. <laughs> I'm like, um, so my advice is the advice Giancarlo Veronini, who was my boss for about two years at GameSpot, gave me. And it's like, this is your career. And this is this is you. And you have to you have to know that everything you write reflects on who you are, and like write accordingly because there are there are tons of people who will write just to just to write and say that they wrote and that are published, but you you have a unique voice you have a unique perspective and you need to understand that that is very very important, and you shouldn't be anyone else and you should realize that everything you say is important and is who you are and will add to your legacy. Yeah. That is something I don't think I realized for the first like four years I was at GameSpot. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. I'll just churn out whatever you want me to do. And then Giancarlo Veroniti kept saying like over and over, like, you know, are you sure you're, you want this? Like, this is, this is you. This is your career. You have to, you have to know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's, yeah. I don't think most people realize that, and I still really haven't grasped that. Um, but I think that's the most important thing is you have to be yourself and be proud of what you do. It's easy to fall into a rut where you're not too. There was definitely a time yeah. uh, where I was freelancing. I don't exactly remember the moment. I just remember a stretch where I had to stop and be like, am I really proud of any of the last like four or five reviews I just published? Or did I, I just know. play the game, write you know, a boilerplate thing, try to add some fancy words to it and walk away? And I, I, I've done that and I'm, you know not happy about it but. every every everybody roger ebert has done that like every <laughs> single person has done that and you're going to do that sometimes like some days are better than others but like yeah. you have to you have to realize that like that stuff does matter and everything does matter and even if you're reviewing a dumb game <laughs> like like say something yeah say something that only you would say about that game or when you're writing a feature like say something only you would say because yeah. you're the only person who can who can speak for yourself and you have to do that yeah, and more and more we're getting into this age where like people are seeking out specific personalities instead of entire outlets. Um, so yeah, let don't just write a review where it's like, well, I, this is you know this is not really me, but I'm just gonna write this. Like just write your feelings on it. And yeah, and also just understand there's nuance. Like maybe you are a social justice warrior in a sense. Maybe you are pro feminism and stuff. But you can also like have that state of mind and love war. Like there is nuance to to what you are so you don't have to be like well if i'm against this i have to be against this because that's kind of where it is it's like no just just be who you are and that is that's the best thing you can be because i don't feel like there is a ton of nuance with discussion and analysis right now oh yeah and and the more the better because it's like you know this is it this is your one shot and yeah. like you know that might be your last review and make sure that it is something that you could you could show to anyone to be like well this is me at least yeah no without a doubt i think that's great advice um, Thanks. That's Ron Carlo Veronini, <laughs> who's currently at Ubisoft. Oh, is he really? I don't know what he does there. Actually. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he got a job at Ubisoft. He left GameSpot voluntarily, and uh, he works there. Oh, I didn't know that. He is, he is great. <laughs> I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, no, I remember hearing him on some podcast, too, so I would love to eventually actually talk to him. Maybe I can figure out what he's doing, too. What yeah, actual that'll, that'll be the inside scoop. Yeah, inside scoop. What are you doing? Are you, are you Assassin's Creed? What are you doing? Yeah, so, there's there's a few guys because Sean McKinnis now works at, at Amazon. Yeah, and and Ken Van Ord works at Tryon Worlds, Tryon Worlds. I think it's Tryon. I think Tryon that's how we pronounced it. There's there's a few dif- there's a few people making the games that you you know making the games you play that they used to read about. It's it's always weird for me every time I do a podcast with 
X GameSpot people. It's super weird because in the same way that a lot of people coming up uh, who write about games now were reading uh, Ryan Davis and Brad Shoemaker and Jeff in that era of GameSpot, my era of GameSpot is always going to be you and Kevin and Carolyn and Brendan Sinclair and that group. And the Hotspot was the first po- gaming podcast podcast actually I've ever listened to. Ooh. Um, and the first, <laughs> you know, the first podcast I ever listened to was uh after metal gear solid 4 came out and it got a 10 and you talked to brennan sinclair for like two hours about it i think it was that was the best we showed up to work but we didn't realize we were still on holiday vacation (laughs) (laughs) really i did not know that so like yeah so i and i had finished metal gear solid 4 like three days earlier on vacation and and we just went upstairs and recorded a podcast yeah it's the most like unadulterated pure emotional one that we've done that was... got me into listening to podcasts and that's that's the 100 really? percent truth i um when i bought my ps3 it was metal gear solid 4 bundle and i played that game in two days and it's my it's my favorite of the series like i will i think you can almost take any of that series and try to like argue like three is the best two is the best and i'll probably believe you but four is the one that always stands out for me and that was the first podcast i ever listened to and immediately after i listened to the hotspot every other week uh so awesome yeah so I really do mean it when I say, like, thank you for coming on because it does mean a lot to me that you and Kevin and Carolyn would come on and, you know, talk to me on my small podcast. And it's still surreal for me, even to when I first was on GameSpot, to be on there, uh, knowing that, you know, I was writing on the same site that you and uh, everyone else there was writing on. So uh, not to go, not to sit here and shower you with compliments. But. <laughs> no. Now you're the only one left at GameSpot. How yeah, it's that? weird. <laughs> Yeah, so yours, yours, your podcast is the only gaming podcast I actually subscribe to. <laughs> I really appreciate uh, that. And I subscribe to 51 podcasts. Jeez, whoa. <laughs> and I guess, well, some of those aren't real because I do, so some of those are like I do subscribe to my own and Kevin, you know, Kevin's Wild Guesses. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I actively listen to like like 45 podcasts and yours is the only gaming one. I appreciate that. I am also a super, I do I listen to podcasts while I do everything, like gym, in the car, so like... I love podcasts. I, mean, I love them to like a silly degree of yeah. I will like hold on. I will not go to the gym until the new episode of the Bill Simmons podcast or whatever comes out or the Grantland NFL podcast or anything like that. Like I have maybe I might be addicted to podcasts. Like yeah. I, it's it's kind of ridiculous how much I listen to them. But so if anyone wants a new podcast, uh, I think the mystery show is my current favorite. Oh, I don't even know what that is. It has six episodes, three of which I consider jaw-dropping brilliance, and the other three are really good. Uh, it's basically Starly Kine solves a mystery that can't be solved through the internet, but it's just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm in tears in every episode. <laughs> oh man, now I need to do this. Yeah, uh, so uh, that that is my number one recommendation. Uh, and then also, like, I'm on the Crock-Pot and Wild Guesses, but, yeah. you know, they're not as good. <laughs> You need to you need to learn how to sell yourself better. This is <laughs> actually I was searching for a portfolio of your work to see where you freelance. Couldn't find it. Oh no, no. I don't I don't know how to sell myself. I've never okay. I've never really liked that. I'm gonna be your agent and moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably, well, maybe maybe uh, after I have my book out, then I'll, then I'll all right. Start great. Myself. It'll it'll be that, and then you'll eventually be Aladdin. Trust me. I will be your agent. Everything's gonna be great. Perfect. Um, so once again, thank you, Tom, for coming on. Uh, like yeah, you said. Thank you. You were on the Crockpot and Wild Guesses, and uh, you were also on Twitter as what are you on Twitter as? At Tom McShay. And it's almost too easy. I'm the same at Josiah Renaudin. So, 
thanks again for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening, and hopefully you come back uh, next week for. I have so many I'm recording. I have two this weekend, two next weekend. So hopefully you guys come back Ooh. for future episodes of the 1099. <laughs>